I think many of you got the text message um, or you may have gotten the email that we're talking about a very, very sensitive topic today, uh, sexual assault. Um, and we're going to be introduced to what I describe as a tenacious survivor. Um, and it's so very important that we talk about this because in a lot of churches, we, a lot of times in churches, we can be silent about it. And um, if that's you today, I want you to know that you are seen and that you are loved and that we're glad that you're here. Um, and also, um, even though we don't want to rip the Band-Aid off and put it back on, we're going to have some resources for you at the end, okay? And so you just take a picture with your phone. It's going to pop up on your screen, and we would love to take you uh, through some next steps and, and figure out how to support you here at ACTV. And so let me pray for us one more time, and then I'm going to jump in. Father, thank you so much for your love and your kindness towards us, Lord. You are so great and kind and merciful. And I pray that you will be with us, Lord, as we work through uh, a very, very sensitive, sensitive subject. Lord, we need you. We need your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we're in a series right now called Hidden Figures. And we've been in that series as we've been preparing for Mother's Day. It's right around the corner. And we've been, been discussing some of the, the more overlooked people or overlooked female heroine of Scripture. And so um, many of their stories have been innocently overlooked, I would say. But most of the stories have been ignored or downright denied. And so today, what I want to do is I want to introduce us to some of the hidden figures of Scripture. Now, I know if you've ever read the Bible, if you know the Bible well, you know that we have uh, some very, very well-known people who make it into sermons. You have people like Mary and Sarah and Ruth and Rahab. But, but I want to talk today about some of the women that you may not have heard of before. And they may not make it into a sermon but God knows that they make an indelible impact in creation. And so we're going to continue in that today. Um, when someone says that they feel hidden, what they're often saying is that they feel marginalized. What they're often saying is that they feel like their voice is silenced. And in so doing, they feel like they're undervalued or they're dismissed. And, and few people on this earth feel hidden quite like survivors of sexual assault. Um, just like it, the women in the 2016 movie that were fighting for, had their name known and fighting for recognition, oftentimes people that have experienced sexual assault are fighting to be heard. They're fighting to be believed. And in many instances, they're fighting to be supported. And as you know, um, because you know this, but sexual assault can cause untold psychological, emotional, and physical distress to its victims. And one of the reasons that it's important for us to talk about this today is because, honestly, it's frighteningly common. It's frighteningly common. Um, some statistics say that women are forcibly raped every six minutes. It's awful. One in three American women has been sexually assaulted in their lifetime. And one in five boys and one in, no, one in 20 boys and one in five girls have been sexually assaulted. I mean, the statistics really don't even bear out the full truth. Because many people have not shared their feelings because they don't, they're afraid of being believed. And so what's happened is they're, they're afraid of being shamed. So many of these assaults go unreported. And sadly, what happens during that time is that many victims experience emotional burden that they carry throughout their lives. And friends, although I know this is a sensitive subject, um, it's not unreasonable to assume that in a room this size, in a church like ours, that some of you may have experienced this type of evil done to you. And that it was a tremendous, uh, it made an impact on your personhood, and it robbed you of something that you really felt that you cannot get back. And then on top of that, for some of us, it's been compounded, has it not? 
because you, you went to a good church. You really like to worship. The pastor really preached good, but maybe you were taken advantage of by somebody at that church. And then you went to your pastor, you went to your friend, and, and rather than them doing their due diligence and, and reprimanded the individual, what they did is they took their hand and they put it over your mouth. And in a metaphorical sense, they, were, they, they, they silenced you and they didn't want you to be complicit or they, they were complicit in the actual abuse. And so you've seen this time and time again where pastors have actually encouraged spouses to go back to injurious spouses. And I just want to let you know that if that's you today, I'm sorry that that happened to you in the Big C Church. I'm sorry that that happened to you in the Big C Church. I'm sorry that you confided in someone that, didn't, that either didn't believe you or either um, or sided with someone else. Like, I'm, I'm sorry that all that happened, but I want you to know that you're not alone. I want you to know that in this room, that even though you can feel like you're in a sea of people, that you're not alone, you're not a statistic, you're not a number, but you're a person that's very, very valuable in the sight of God. And the reason I say that, and I want to emphasize that, is because a lot of times sexual assault victims feel very, very isolated. But I want you to know that Accelerate Church is a church that cares. And on top of that, the Bible cares about what's happened to you, and in fact, it has something to say about it. All right, so I've got two main goals today. Here, here's the first one. Firstly, I want, to comf- I want to comfort and encourage the survivors of sexual assault by working through a biblical passage in the Scripture. And then secondly, my second goal is to equip us as a church to care for those who have suffered sexual assault. Is that all right today? Y'all quiet. I know. I know. It's, it's a tough subject. I know. We're going to get to it. Now, when it comes to reading the Scriptures... Most of us run to the Psalms. We go to the Psalms. We go to Psalm 23. We go to Psalm 91 about God being our great shepherd. Or maybe we go to God and Psalm 191 being our protector. Rarely do we go to Psalm 78 where the man is saying that darkness is my only friend. That, I mean, that's, that's just awful right there. But he's, but he's real about his emotion. Uh, oftentimes we go to the healing passages of Jesus throughout the gospel narrative. And, and we often overlook what I would describe as the terror texts in the Bible. And it makes you wonder, why would God include such terror texts in the Scriptures? I mean, there's the rape of Dinah in Genesis 34, which is absolutely horrible. There, there, there's a young lady in the book of Judges that was gang raped. And you might be wondering today, maybe you're a skeptic and you're saying, hey, this is why I, I don't trust the Bible. No, no, this is why you should trust the Bible. Because it shows that God does not sweep anything under the rug. And even though he doesn't prescribe it, what he does is he describes it. He lets us know what's happening, and he doesn't sugarcoat it. So what this does is it shows that there's no area in your life that God is not willing to step into and that God is not willing to heal. But it also shows, like, do not believe that we are getting better and better as a society. Because of the fall that occurred in the garden when Adam and Eve eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, it caused cataclysmic problems throughout all of history. And so that means that it's continuing to get worse. And what passages like this do is they show us how sexually broken we are, but it also shows us how messy our lives can be without the intervention from Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so let me just, let me, I'm going to walk us through today. Uh, Samuel, first, second Samuel chapter 13. And I'm going to walk us pretty much from verses one all the way down to verse 20. 
um, because I think it's going to really help us. So chapter 13 begins, it doesn't actually begin in chapter 13. Because in chapter 13, verse 1, it said, and some time had passed. What exactly does he mean when some time had passed? Well, it all began with a man that really loved worship. It began, this story begins with a man who wrote songs and scripture. The songs that this man wrote would have been the ones that we sing in churches today if he was alive today. It begins with a man that the Bible describes named David, who was a man after God's own heart. But how many of you know that you can be a person after God's own heart, but not be able to curb your bodily or your fleshly desires? And so that's what happened with David. David had a lot of victories in his life. David was walking with God. He was singing to the assembly. But somewhere along the line, he got complacent in his faith. And let me just tell you, there are few things more dangerous than becoming complacent in your faith. When you begin to think that you've got it all together, that you know enough Bible, you know all the Bible stories, and you take your foot off the pedal, that is the perfect time in the Christian faith when many people believe that is when problems set in because you're not as vigilant. So at the time that da- so David had established his kingdom, he's the, second ki- he's the second king in all of Egypt. He established his kingdom, and so he decides that he's not going to go out and go to war with the kings that day. He's going to go up to the rooftop, and while he's on the rooftop, he becomes a warrior. He's looking out, and, he, and someone catches his eye, and it's a lady named Bathsheba. And she's taking a bath, and he has his handlers go retrieve her just like she's a piece of property. And then he takes her, and he rapes her. Now, it's rape because even though she probably, even though she could have consented, there was a difference in the power dynamic. And so she could have experienced punishment had she said no. But that's what happened. So, and then on top of that, he got her pregnant. And so in order for David, David decides to hatch a plan. This is the man after God's own heart. He decides that he is going to have her husband Uriah come back from battle and then have him sleep with his wife so that he can pin the baby on Uriah, the husband, instead of be guilty for the sin he's committed. And you thought your family was messy. The Bible's families are messy. And so David ends up, Uriah comes back, doesn't do that, all that, and he eventually leads to Uriah getting killed. He tells Uriah, he tells Joab to put Uriah on the first, on the front line of war, on the hottest battleground, and eventually he dies. And David goes and comforts the widow who is Bathsheba and brings him into his house. And so this was deeply, deeply grievous to God because God was like, if you wanted more, I would have given it to you. If you wanted more, if you wanted another wife, I would have allowed it. It's prescription, not description. Or it's description, not prescription. The Lord's not advocating you have another wife because that can get messy. Anybody that had multiple wives in the Bible, it got sticky for them. Just ask Abraham. Anyway, well, he's describing what has happened, but he's using that to explain that if you wanted more, I would have given it to you, but you didn't have to go and act insolently like you did. That's the consequence of taking your foot off the pedal. Again, and getting complacent in your faith. And then he's confronted, he repents, and then he writes a song about his sin. Would any of y'all write a song about your sin that they sing in church? <laughs> like, that's what he does. So he takes it seriously. But God says, I, I, I'm, I'm displeased with you. And even though I'm not going to take your life, I'm never going to allow this, store, this sword to leave your home. 
I'm not going to allow it to leave your home. And what we see in this passage is the repercussion of David's actions. He's, he, he sold sexual violence, and what we see is in his household, he's reaping sexual violence. Does that make sense, church? So let's go through one. Let's go through verse by verse. Look what it says. And sometime it passed, David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. With his, and David's son Amnon, that's her half-brother, was infatuated with her. And Amnon was fratuated to the point of making himself sick over his sister Tamar because she was a virgin. Mm. Let's, look, let's look at this for a second. In the, ver- in the first verse, we are introduced to the survivor. Her name is Tamar. The first thing we learn about her is her physical description. She's beautiful. The second thing we learn is that she grew up in David's house. She was a part of the royal palace. She had the very best of what she needed. Unlike the other Israelites that had to work from sunup to sundown, she didn't have to do any of that. She probably wore expensive clothes. Why? Because the daddy was her king. And I'm, pre- I'm, I'm presupposing this, but she probably had him wrapped around his finger, around her finger. Like, get this, family. She had all the hallmarks of privilege. She had all the hallmarks of privilege, leisure, and political power, but none of those signs of social status could protect her from sexual assault. Still, this passage shows that sexual assault and perpetrators are no respecter of class, of race, of gender, and family makeup. They don't care. In verse 2, we find out that she had a half-brother named Amnon. And Amnon was thinking about his sister so much that he was making himself sick. Did y'all see that in the passage? Like, like it's alarming. That, that, that should just cause an alarm to go off in all of our hearts right now. That a half-brother would lust after his sister and plot to be with her sexually. And then, so, just, just get this. Amnon is second in command to the throne. He's very entitled, and he's used to getting what he wants. But here's the thing. When entitled people don't get what they want, they often take what they want very violently. That's why I just want to encourage you, you better, be, you better be very, very mindful of your entitlement. Because the truth is, is if we're in Christ, the only thing that we are really entitled to is to experience God's wrath for all of our sins. But the fact that Jesus gives us mercy and grace at all is a wonderful thing. And so Amnon is entitled. In other words, get this, he's infatuated with her. When you're infatuated with something, like you think about it very often, do you not? So what he's doing is he's entertaining thoughts in his mind that he shouldn't be. He, he's dwelling on, meditating on, pondering sexually illicit thoughts about his sister. He's craving for her body for the purpose of sexual gratification. I know that's nasty. Let, let, me, let me just say something to you, friends. Can I, can I talk to you? Can I pass to you for a few seconds, even if I'm not your pastor and you visit today? Welcome to the club. I'm so glad you came during such a light topic that we're talking about today. So, so amazing. But let me, let me just say something. It said that he's pondering or he was so infatuated that he was thinking about what she was about her. Let me just tell you that you need to be very, very careful about how or be very careful about your thought life. Be very, very careful about your thought life. Here's why. Because he committed this atrocity well before he had actually done this atrocity. He had already been like, like, I know that you think sometimes people believe that pastors are the fun police. And we just want you to read your Bible all day and stay in the house. Like, no, that's not the case. But you know why we do believe that you should read your Bibles? Because not only will you glean to learn from the wisdom of Scripture, 
But also, those words are things that will help combat those negative things that are going on in your mind. It will help you fight it. When you feel like you are worthless and not worthwhile, you can always go to Ephesians 2.10. That talks about how you are God's workmanship created in his image, and he has good works for you to do ahead of time. When you don't feel valuable, when you don't feel protected, you can know that God will renew you and restore you. What I'm saying is you use the Bible as a means to combat the negative thoughts and the unpure and unholy thoughts that go through your mind. Does that make sense? And so your thought life, friends, when, when Jesus was in the desert, he didn't fight back with what he found out on TikTok. When the devil said, turn these stones into bread, he didn't say, well, one of my social media followers said. He didn't talk about his, uh, he didn't talk about his opinion. He didn't say, well, Fox News and CSNBC and NBC and the liberal media or the conservative media says this. He didn't say that. You know what he said? He, hit, he combated it with the scriptures. He said, the Bible says that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What I'm saying is you are not going to be able to fight the battles in your life if you don't have a reservoir of Scripture in your heart to fight against them. Does that make sense? And so he, he has to control his thought life. And then we see this. Verse 4. I mean, verse 3. And Amnon had a friend named Jonadab the son of David's brother, Shemaiah. That's his first cousin. And Jonadab was a very shrewd man. Somebody say shrewd man. Now, anytime you see shrewd in the Bible, it's often, it's often pointing back to the Garden of Eden. And so it says in the Garden of Eden that the serpent, which is the embodiment or the personification of Satan, was the most shrewd in the field. He's the most shrewd. And so anytime you see this, what it often is pointing to is demonic deception. And so get this, the devil knows how to step in when you're your weakest and when you're infatuated with something that you shouldn't have. You see that? He wanted something that he shouldn't have had, and the devil knew how to play upon his emotion to cause his eventual downfall. And so Jonadab, verse 3, verse 3, he's a very shrewd man, verse 4, and he asks Amnon, why are you, the king's son, so miserable every morning? Why don't you tell me? And then Amnon says, or replied, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Now, right there, Jonadab should have said, what? You what? You in love with who? <laughs> he didn't say, look what he says. He says, well, lie down on the bed and pretend you're sick. And when your father comes to see you, to say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me something to eat. Let me prepare a meal in the presence so I can watch and I can eat from her hand. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. That, that's weird to me. That's really weird. But it also is very, very telling. Here's why. Because I know you need to be careful about your thought life, but you also need to be very careful about your friendship circles. Because when you have the right friend... They're not going to co-sign your self-destruction. They're not going to do it. They're not going to help you forge a plan that will lead to your failure. They're not going to foster your foolishness. This is how his other brother says it. Sol and King Solomon says it like this in Proverbs 13, 20. He says, walk with the wise and become as wise, for a companion of fools suffer harm. 
So in other words, it's very important that you have the right crowd around you that's pushing you toward godliness because if they are not, eventually you'll experience destruction. Are y'all with me? So be, com- be careful about the company you keep. So he tells him to lie down in the bed. And then when his father comes to see about him, ask for Tamar to come into the room and make a cake and feed you from his hand. So what he does, Jonadab does, is he colludes with him to put together this plot to take advantage of Tamar. And so perpetrators, the, the people that were supposed to protect her, become her perpetrators. Now, I know we have godly people in here. I, I really do. I know that people are, we have some honest God-loving people in here, but you need to keep your spidey senses up. I don't know. You need to have some discernment at times. Just because we are blood doesn't mean we are family. And not everybody has your best interest in mind. You need to be careful. Does that make sense? So that's what Amnon did. That's what Amnon did. He went, and his father came to visit him, and David allowed the request. Now, can I just, can I just be honest with you? Now, I know that David is unsuspecting in this passage, right? Verse 6. He doesn't think this is going to happen. He's unsuspecting. It's the farthest thing from his mind. But my question is, is how come, David, you didn't ask any follow-up questions? And why would you send your daughter over to care for your son? Because the last time I checked, you are the king. And if you're the king, that means that you probably have access to the best medical care. And that means that you probably could have gotten somebody to whip up a potion or do some medical situation to make sure that your son was taken care of. Why would you agree to this? Here's the thing. He's a brilliant military strategist, but he's getting deceived in his own home. Can I just tell you? He was so busy being a brilliant strategist, and he was so busy dealing with the ruling powers that he didn't do any of that at home. So, parents, I, I know, like, you guys are working your fingers down to the bone. I, I get it. You work every day. You work 50 hours. You come home. You are exhausted. You are worn down. You go to work, and they work on you. And then when you get to that door, you are tired. But I want to encourage you that we need to provide for our children, but we also need to parent our children. We don't just need to be a, a physically present and provide we also need to be emotionally present for our children. And that's what's happening. I think what's happening with David is he's so consumed with the public demands of ruling his kingdom that he doesn't take time to investigate what's going on in his home. If you got a kid that's a teenager, you should be all on that phone. What you looking at? Who you following? Give me your phone. Let me put the passcode on it so you can't get out of there late at night. So you can't get on. Like, like Snoop drew their business. Why? Because I know ch- kids, I'm sorry, but I got to say this. It's the Bible. If I was, if, listen, if I was 12 to 17, I'd be like, why is he saying this? Because this is awful. Like, you should not be saying this right now. But listen, hear me. And I'm not trying to lose y'all like the Gen X, but, Gen Y, but your hearts are bound up with foolishness. Right? Your, get me, your brain is not fully developed yet. And so part of your parents' responsibility is to help you not do stupid stuff until your brain is fully developed. Yeah. I, that's part of it. Now listen, kids, come here. come here. Can they be a little annoying? Yes. Yes. But... Their parental, their, their oversight over you shows that they actually care about you. 
Because look, other people don't really care about you like that. Nobody's going to love you like your parents or your step-parents or things like that. Nobody's going to love you like They're trying to prevent you from doing something stupid now that would cost you an eternity to pay off. It's not because they don't want you to have a relationship. It's because they've seen this story before. They know how this dude acts. They know that he's just putting the play. I tell, can I tell you a story? This has nothing to do with the sermon, but I, I think my niece would be okay with me saying this because it's, it's not implicating her. But one time, my niece invited her boyfriend to dinner. It was Thanksgiving, so he comes over. And, man, he is smooth as coffee with heavy cream and a few pumps of sugar-free syrup. I mean, that man was smooth. I mean, I was asking him about his life and who he was, all that type of stuff. And he was just so smooth. And I took a few minutes. I said, I said let me tap into some discernment here. I said, well, I don't know if it was discernment or not. Maybe it was mean, but I didn't care. I was like, you know what? She's like, what do you think about my boyfriend? She asked me this at the table. I said, I don't like him. Because he puts on a good front, but he won't allow you to see who he really is on the inside. He's trying to impress me. And so a few, weeks, few months later, I found out he had a side baby and all that type of stuff. And it was, it was weird. Here's what I say all this. Say this. Your parents really do know what's best for you. And, and what's hard for them is we're working through our brokenness while we're trying to parent you. Right? Like, we don't have it all. Guess what? I've never been a parent before. I got a five and a seven-year-old. Guess what? I never parented a five and a seven-year-old before. So I'm figuring it out, working through my brokenness. So just like you guys want people to be with you and give you patience, give your parents patience because they're trying to figure it out. Okay? That's cool? Okay. That's my diatribe today. That's my tape talk for today. To our... Okay. Where am I at? So, so yes. Yeah, so like he's creating an environment in his home where he's physically present, but he's emotionally absent. And so... And, and, and I want you to think about, like, we don't think about it in this context. This is not our context. But I want you to think about how patriarchal this society is. Because they viewed women as only valuable if they were able to, if they were able to care for or nurture a man. Do you see that? So Tamar's value and worth, a lot of it was predicated on her ability to help Amnon become healthy. And so I, I, I know that we got some great men in here. Like, for real. Like, y'all some great men. You take care of your families. You read the Bible. Like, I'm not knocking you at all, right? But I just want to say this to you, that it is not your spouse or your potential spouse's job to fix you. To fix you. Despite the cultural consensus, women are great at nourishing, but they're not responsible for your healing. And I don't say that because I'm trying to win the room. I'm saying that because it's the truth. Like, they're great. But, you know, sometimes you can get better counseling from a counselor, or a therapist, or someone that will let you spill your, 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 your hurts and your harms on them and know how to deal with it in a, in a different way. Does that make sense? It's not their responsibility. So, so then, so not only is it sexist because they believe that Tamar's value is based upon her, her, her care, but it's also sexist because they see her as an instrument of pleasure. That's what it is. They just see her as an instrument or a tool to bring pleasure to a man. And listen, that's not why she was created. She was created to worship God. Her body belonged to the Lord. It did not belong to the perpetrator. Are y'all with me? And so what I'm saying is like, like, if she just had somebody there to protect her, protect her, 
Parents, we've got to do our due diligence to protect our children, even if it's unpopular. My wife, my daughter wanted to go to a sleepover last night. I said, where, where are you going? I said, do they have, is there a dad and mom in the household? She was like, yeah. I was like, no. She's like, why? I was like, because I'm not comfortable with that yet. And even if it hurts your children's feelings, I don't know about the spending the night yet. I'm not comfortable with it. What I'm saying is, is we have, even if it makes our children uncomfortable or makes them mad, you have to do what you know to do so you can protect them from things like this. If there's something in your soul, parents, that tells you that your child should not be going over there, don't ignore it. Because at times it's the Holy Ghost. It can be. But sometimes it's your gut feeling. And you don't need to ignore your gut feeling. You know why? Because it's an accumulation of knowledge over time. That's what scientists tell us. So if you feel like that, here's another thing. Parents, and I'm going to get to the rest of this passage. I got eight minutes. But here's another thing. Like, one thing you got to stop doing is you got to stop giving nicknames to your children's genitalia. It's not a wee-wee. It's, it's not a pee-pee. It is a vagina. And it is a penis. And you need, to be, you need to make sure, we need to make sure as parents that we're clear on that. Because if we don't, there can be a perpetrator to play upon it. Are y'all, are y'all with me? Am I okay? I'm just saying, like, we, we've got to, as parents, take care of our children so things like this can be a less of an instance. So, and let me just say this. While she's making this cake for him, he's just having all these illicit thoughts in his mind. It's him. I want you to know he's the problem, not her. It's not what she wore. It's not who she is. It's not, it's not her that caused it. You know why I'm saying this? Because there's a demonic idea out there that if you were just modest, that this wouldn't have happened to you. M- saying someone should just be modest is just re-traumatizing them. That's what's happening. And so she's, and, but, but on the other end, I want you to know that you are not your moment of trauma. That's not what you are, right? Not your moment of trauma. So verse 9, this is where it gets crazy. Look, at, look what it says. Um, yes, yeah, so she says she bought, now uh, verse 8. It says, then Tamar went to his house while Amnon was lying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his presence. And while he's doing that, he's he's ruminating on despicable thoughts about her. Verse 9, it says, she bought the pan and set it down in front of him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, everyone leave me, and everyone left. And then bring the meal to the bedroom. And Amnon told Tamar, so I can eat from your hand. And so Tamar took the cake. She had just made and went to her brother's bedroom. And when she had bought the cake for him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come sleep with me, my sister. Mm, mm, mm. This, is, this is where it gets crazy. So, so he refused to eat. Now, now I want you to know, I want you to, there's a show by Chris Hansen, How to Catch a Predator. And I want you to see some hallmarks of a predator right here. Number one, he tells her to clear the room, does he not? And the reason he tells her to clean the room is be clear the room is because now it's her word against his. Right? Here's the principle. Predators always try to isolate you. They always try to isolate you. Here's why. Because if they can isolate you, then they can manipulate your emotion. And they can make you feel like you're the one that's crazy and they're the only one that can save you. That's what's happening. And so he, and then get this, it says he grabs her. Now, th- now, this is, this, is some, this is something, and again, I know we got some godly dudes in here, but this is not a church where we do the where's my hug at stuff. 
A woman is a man or a woman is not obligated to hug you. You can fist bump them and all that. I'm gonna tell you one of the greatest things that happens to me is when I go in to hug your kids and they run away from me. I love it. I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna, I'll tell you why. It's because I don't, and, and, and you don't have to tell them to come give Pastor Earn a hug. Here's why because they need to be able to consent to wh- who they can hug with their own bodies. They should have the right to consent to who touches their bodies. So when they look at me with that scowl on their face, even though it hurts my feelings just a little bit, just a little bit, and they don't want to hug me, that's right. That means you're teaching them the right way, parents. They shouldn't be obligated to give no hug to Uncle Johnny that they don't feel comfortable with, right? And so look what she does in verse 12. This is how tenacious Tamar is. Look what she says. She says, don't, my brother. Oh, oh, verse 11. And when she bought him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come sleep with me, my sister. Verse 12. Don't, my brother, she cried. Don't disgrace me, for such a thing should never be in Israel. Do not commit this outrage. Where could I go with my humiliation? And you would be like one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Please speak to the king, for he will keep me. He will not keep me from you. Look at, look at how she was tenacious. Number one. There's a fourfold response. She says, don't, my brother. What she was doing was she was reaffirming the boundaries. She said, I'm your brother. I'm, you're my brother. You're not my lover. Let's just get that clear. Number one. Number two, she says, don't disgrace me for such a thing shouldn't be done in Israel. In other words, what she's trying to do is appeal to her better judgment or to his better judgment. He's saying, don't do this. Like, this is not something that we culturally affirm. This is something that pagans do, and it's even worse than that. Then she says, don't commit this outrage. She's like, you're second in command of Israel. This will lead to a big political scandal. Saying, don't do this. You want to be, be a king? Think about how you're going to be viewed. Then she says, where would I go with my humiliation? In other words, I need to be advocated for, but there's not a system of care for victims like myself. And so I know you are thinking about an ejaculation, but what about me and my humiliation? That's what she's saying. And then she says, why don't you go talk to the king? Because if you go talk to the king, he won't withhold you from me. She's saying, what she's saying is, why don't you go talk to him now so I can get out of this unsafe place? And so maybe you went through a situation where you weren't as tenacious as this. But that doesn't mean that you're any worth any, any worth less than you are. You just may not have done that at your particular age. Maybe you couldn't, but here's what I want you to know. You can experience healing from this thing, and it doesn't define you. And so he goes in verse 14. This is what it says. But he refused to listen to her because he was stronger than her, and he disgraced her by raping her. Mm. Rape is like, it's almost ambiguous in our culture nowadays, and it shouldn't be. But this is what the rape and abuse and incest national network says. This is the largest network in the United States devoted to fighting sexual violence. And it defines sexual assault as sexual content or behavior that occurs without explicit consent. And so that means molestation is rape. Drugging someone and taking advantage of them is rape. When they're high and seemingly consenting, that's rape. Consensual sex cannot happen when another party is under the influence. That's considered rape and a myriad of other things. But it's important. So look what he says in verse 15. And Amnon hated, after he raped her, it says he hated Tamar with such intensity, with the hatred he hated her with. Sorry. Was greater than the love he had for her. 
And he says, get out of here. This is what happens with people a lot of times, is you finally get what you want, and then you end up despising that very same thing. And it happens to be that this was a person. And so she said, so she says, he says, get out of here. And she fights. She says, no, sending me away is much worse because, Amnon, you're acting like this was a consensual act. And this was not consensual. You took advantage of me. And then look what he says in verse 17. I'm sorry. Instead, he called the servants and he said, get this away from me. Throw her out and bolt the door behind me. That's what predators do. Not only do they manipulate you, but they dehumanize you. And they shatter the victim's sense of self-worth and beauty. And so not only has she been grabbed multiple times, but then it's so traumatic. The servants grabbed her, and they grabbed her by the hand, and they threw her out, and she's traumatized by all of this. Can you imagine, friends? This is women all around the world every day that are experiencing this level of trauma. But you know what? She, even though she experienced this, she did not quit. She didn't stop. Look what it says. Tamar was, was wearing these long gowns or this long robe. And it was a sign that she was a virgin. It was a sign that her virginity was being protected by her father and that she hadn't had consensual sex. She was a virgin, right? That's what's happening. It was a cultural sign that she'd never been touched and that she was waiting to marriage. But what she did was she ripped it off and she took ashes from the ground and she put it on her head. And the reason she did that was because she was letting the world know that this wasn't a consensual act and I'm not going to act like something that, act like something that didn't happen. I'm going to let it be known from the mountaintops that it did. And I just want you to know that if this is something that has happened to you, do not sweep it under the rug. Don't sweep it under the rug. Like, like she wants this to be dealt with, right? Like there's no quick, there's no quick pain or quick fix for the trauma. But what she wanted was advocacy. She wanted someone to come alongside. She wanted to tell somebody. And then, this is, and then, she, runs in the, and then she runs into Absalom, her brother. So Absalom sees her by the roadside, ripped garment, ashes on her head. And so she's thinking that he's going to give her some encouragement. And look what he says. Has your brother Amnon been with you? Look what he says. Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this to heart. <laughs> How do you say something like this? To your sister. That's just been raped by your half-brother. He was more concerned with, with maintaining the reputation of the perpetrator than the pain of the victim. Now, family, I'm, can I just pass you for a second? Just for a few seconds. I know, and we should, point fingers at Amnon's in the world. But a lot of times we do this in our families all the time. We do. Where mothers or daughters have came up to mothers and said, your boyfriend touched me. And then mothers decided to believe the boyfriend because they wanted to keep them around. And so what they did was they silenced the mouth of the victim. Oftentimes, some of us, and let me take it back. What can happen in our family sometimes is some of us believe that we have a knowledge that one of our nieces or our nephews was raped by this particular person, and that we still have them around the perpetrator on a regular basis. And you know that person is mentally, emotionally sick. You know that they should probably be, or, or not probably, but they should be locked up for what they've done. 
but you don't say anything about it. And when you don't, you are co-signing the, the perpetrator and overlooking what happens with the victim. What I'm saying is, friends, she, he says to her, don't take this to heart. How? How could you say something like that? And friends, as the band comes here, here's, here's what I want you to know. I'm glad if you're in the faith today, I want you to know that you have a God that doesn't overlook offenses like this. First Thessalonians 4.16 promises that God is going to judge that situation. Even though you may have, they may have thought that they've gotten rid of that or gotten away with this, they haven't gotten away with this. Even though you think they're out there living their best life, oh, they're not living their best life. God promises that he's going to deal with with this issue. And if you are going through something right now, I don't know about the statutes of limitations and all that type of stuff, but I am saying that it may be time for you to go and seek advocacy. Go talk to the authorities about this. It might be time for you to go talk to a lawyer, not just a counselor, to go to someone that can provide some care in that regard, that can help this, take this to the next legal statement, the legal place. Does that make sense, friends? Friends, I know you probably haven't heard a pastor say go to the cops, but you should. If you feel that you've been sexually coerced or taken advantage of in this way or raped, God forbid that happened to you. And second, the second thing I want you to know is that through the gospel, Jesus removes the shame. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for you and I. And thank God that he did. But he died for how I would feel about how people have sinned against me. Because when someone sins against you, it makes you feel dirty. It makes you feel valueless what's wrong with me and why did they pick me out of all of these people where the cross of Calvary through the power and the blood of Jesus when you put your faith in him he covers you and he heals you and he removes removes that thing so that you realize that your value is in Christ Jesus not in the thing that the person that did to you does that make sense here friends I'm finished on this I told you about taking care of your, your children which I think is important but I think I open, it's an open and honest dialogue with your children. It's very, very important. You should ask your kids all the time, did somebody touch you? Did somebody touch you? Would you, would, you be, would you be honest with me if they did and not make them feel like a condemning way? It's one of the ways that you can care for your kids. But, but I think when somebody comes up to you and they tell you, you had, they've had an experience like this, you've got to create a safe space for the victims to share their story. Gotta, gotta give them safe space. You gotta be able to provide counseling for them and train leaders on how to recognize and respond. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna I want give you some resources right now for anyone that's experienced sexual assault. I want you to take a picture. If you can, go ahead and grab your phone because there may be somebody in here that's experienced sexual assault or something of that sort. So why don't you do me a favor? Everybody, pick up your phone. Come on, do it for me. Do it for me. We don't wanna isolate our victims or hurt them. Everybody, grab your phone take a picture and so of note there's a lot of different hotlines on here and a lot of phone numbers but I, I want to highlight Regina Egerton she's a she has a master she's a therapist she's trained in this area that's her number she wouldn't mind me sharing it with you and so I want you to take a picture of that if something like this happened to you here's a list of resources that can help your pastors also can help too we care about you and we love you we know how to carry for you on the back end but here's the thing um, we're not trained in like investigations and things of that sort. Does that make sense? So if you feel like something has happened to you like this, I want to encourage you to go to the authorities and let us care for you on the back end, if that makes sense. Of course, we want to encourage you. Of course, we want to help you. 
but this is a very, very serious matter. And one of the ways we can help you is by pointing you to resources that would be of benefit to you. We don't want to act like that we're professionals in areas that we're really not. That would really be disadvantage. That would be, would be really, really poor for us to do. And so I want to encourage you today. Something like this is going on too. To put your faith in Jesus. To trust him. And Jesus knows how to bring beauty out of ashes. He knows how to bring beauty out of your brokenness. And also I want to encourage you to, to tap into these resources. And if you need to talk, we have somebody in the back, a concierge that can help us do that. So why don't you let me pray for you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I just pray for all the Tamars in the building, both male and female, that have gone through a rough and excruciating time wondering if they're valuable or worthwhile because of what they experienced, Jesus. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would bless them and heal their souls and that they would get the help that they need in this tough time, Lord. I pray that you will comfort them and bless them and give them wisdom, Lord, and if this stuff happened long ago, Lord, that they just wouldn't bury it under success and achievement, but that you will help heal the recesses and crevices of their soul for the glory of Jesus. Lord, we know that the gospel is big, so I pray also for the perpetrator today. Lord, that nothing like this would occur again in their life, Lord, and that you would not give them rest until they confess this thing, and that you would not let them just find harbor in a church or any place, but that you will sniff them out, Jesus, for your good and for your glory, so that nobody will experience anything like this in churches, in communities, in cities anymore, God. And we just pray this, and we ask you to give us wisdom and guidance. In Christ's name, we pray in Jesus' name.